afraid. And hopefully we can all follow along and realize that uh, we all uh, have to pray. If Jesus Christ, who is almighty God, the creator of all things, uh, when he came to this earth as human, if he prayed, then who are we? We're going to have to pray. And it's always best to follow his model. And um, it's good to say, well, when were the times that he prayed? And what did he pray about? And all of these things are important to ask as we study his word when we talk about when Jesus prayed. And so we'll talk a little bit tonight about when he prayed. And maybe by the time we leave here, we will understand when we should pray. (laughs) Hallelujah. Our big, the, the lesson's big idea tonight is simply this. When we face big choices, important choices, we must pray to gain God's perspective. When we face big choices, major decisions, We must pray to gain God's perspective. There are times in anything that you're doing doing, where you get to the place where you say, you know what, I got to make this count. You're running a race. Uh, They always tell you um, the start of the race is important and the Closing of the race is important. And so it's important that you put forth all your effort into it, especially at the end of the race. And so there are just times in our walk with Christ that I'm encouraging you to say, I got to put a little bit more into this. I got to I got to push a little harder. Uh, We all need to come to that place in time in our walk with Christ. and say, I just got to put it in a little bit more. And. It's, it's, it's essential that we have those times in our walk with Christ because there's always going to be challenges. And sometimes what helps us in the challenges is what we've experienced. We can rest on that so we know what we're going through is not really what it should be. A lot of times, unfortunately for a lot of people, they don't know what it should be because they never experienced what it should be. So at no point in their Christian walk, do they understand that it's something deeper than where you are? It's something stronger than what you're dealing with because you've never been at that place where you were able to say, oh, wow, this, this is different. And so we need to think about that. So lesson big idea is understanding when we face big choices, major decisions, we must pray to gain God's perspective. Uh, we're going to take our scripture text tonight from Luke chapter 6, verse Number 12, we'll, we'll read from 12 through 19. Luke chapter 6, we'll read verse 12 through 19. And we'll look at this a little closely as we read. Remember, I've been telling you as we read these days, I hope you will read slowing it down a little bit and not read like you're just glossing over trying to get to a main point. Uh, because if you're just reading to get to the main point, you're going to miss a whole lot of stuff. Because unlike us, God don't say things idly. Unlike us, God don't say things idly. So me and you or you and I can have a conversation and we'll throw some things in just to throw it in, but it didn't have significance to it. Well, everything that God said was significant. So we can't read God's word 
and kind of ignore anything because everything is significant. Luke chapter 6, verse number 12 says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night. Somebody said all night. In prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. When, when the Bible says he prayed all night, it's likely that he prayed from 6 p.m. at night till 6 a.m. in the morning. That's all night. From 6 p.m., that's in the Middle Eastern time. That's all night. From 6 p.m. in the evening to 6 a.m. in the morning. And so that's considered all night. And so he prayed all night. And when day had come, he called unto him his disciples. Jordan, have a seat. Have a seat. Don't move. He, he called unto him his disciples. Now you got to pay attention to that. Disciples. And of them... He chose whom also he named apostles. So he called all his disciples. But of all the disciples that gathered together when he called them, 12 of them were named apostles. So they went from disciples to apostles. Verse 14, Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealots, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. And he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples. And a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. A whole lot of stuff going on there. A whole lot of stuff going on there. I always, whenever, whenever I read this, when I read about people coming to Jesus, for Jesus to do things for them, um, I get concerned that in this modern time, we might be doing that. We, we come to church hoping that Jesus may do something for us. I have paid attention enough to come to this understanding. People who always look for people to do things for them will always continue that way. Unfortunately, you think a lot of times, now this shouldn't stop you from keep doing things for people, but unfortunately you think a lot of times someone have a need and take care of it. You know, they're going to be motivated to make sure they never have that need anymore. So they're going to do what they need to do to make sure they never have that need anymore. 
But unfortunately, that's not human behavior. Usually when you have a need and we take care of the need, you just keep coming back for that need to be taken care of. And we do that with Jesus. We come to church always having the need. And sometimes we have to come to church and say, Jesus, I don't care about my need. I'm here tonight, Jesus. I'm here Sunday morning, Jesus. I'm here to fulfill your purpose. Now, what will you have me to do tonight, Lord? Because I'm here for you. I'm not here. I don't care if I'm in pain tonight. I don't care if I have this great situation going on in my life. I'm not worried about that right now, Jesus. I'm here for you. And some days we're going to have to come into the house of the Lord that way. We can't come every week because then we become like that person, that individual, that they will constantly live their life looking for someone to do something for them as opposed to them saying, let me give back. Let me do something for somebody. And so I worry about that whenever I see these things where people are chasing after Jesus to be healed. People are chasing after Jesus. You always see the, the, the percentage of people who are appreciative for what Jesus d- does for them. It's always a small percentage that return to show appreciation. Because most people that are always looking for you to do something for them end up just always wanting it that way. They're not doing something for you. They want you to do something for them. All that we just read was a pivotal moment and Jesus could feel the pressure. It was the Sabbath and he had just healed a man. So right before what we just read, he had healed a man on the Sabbath, a man with a withered hand, which itself was a cause for celebration. But the man had barely stretched forth his hand when the accusations and criticisms began. Jesus could still hear these words ringing in his ears. How dare he heal on the Sabbath? (laughs) Something has to be done about this man who claims to be the son of God that's healing on the Sabbath. Listen to me. Here's something to think about. Tradition will keep us from the will of God. Tradition will keep us from the will of God. So if we formulate ideas and come up with our way of being, and that's our tradition, we have to be careful that when the will of God presents itself, we don't ignore it. Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, you can't die. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. So in Peter's mind, God being God, showing himself strong, is the will of God. There's no way death is the will of God. And so he was fully convinced that he needed to just not die when really that was what you was holding to. And if we're going to live for God, And be successful at it. We can't allow traditional thinking and behavior to hold us hostage like this. Now listen to this. 
the Jews back in the day allowed tradition to get into their way. The Gentiles allowed idolatry to get in their way. Fast forward to today. Christian people that are familiar with God let tradition get in their way. People that are not living for God let idolatry get in their way. You need me to work with that a little bit? The people out there, they're not in church living for God because they have made something else their God. That's the reason why they're not here. They have made something else their God. So whether they can articulate that or not, something is stronger in your life than God, and that's called idolatry. So that's what it's always been. The folks who are supposed to be godly, familiar with God, living for God, we let tradition get in our way. Oh, no, we don't do that. We don't do that, or God don't do that. Oh, no, that's not something we do. Can I just say this? How many believe God is all-powerful? But a lot of times, we seem to think we can help God. But we say he's all-powerful. Where are you going with that, preacher? Because I fully believe, with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, that God is bad enough to work in people's life and change their life without me having to tell them a whole lot of stuff. I'm just saying, you can believe what you want. Now, I'm not telling you teaching don't have to be done. But this is how bad God is. He will always allow the preacher to teach what needs to be taught at the appropriate time. When the heart of the people is ready to receive those kind of teaching, God will allow it to be taught that way. Until that time comes, God is capable enough, able enough, big boy enough to work in people's life just like he did yours and get them right. But sometimes we look at people and we want to get them right. Tradition. Our tradition said we need to look this way. Our tradition said we need to act this way. Our tradition said we need to talk this way. And God is saying, can I work with them, please? Can you allow me to work with them? Because I worked with you. Yeah, you might have been in church now 20 years, but... 20 years ago, I was working with you. And what you're saying about somebody, somebody thought that about you, but they never said it to you 20 years ago. So let me now work with them. Give me a chance. All I need for you to do is just keep on praying. I'll do the work in their heart. You just keep praying. So we have to be careful of tradition. We can't let tradition get in the way because tradition will hurt us. Brother Scarlet on it. He saw the red, he saw the, red um, the red light. Red light means battery going dead. <laughs> and so we have to be careful that tradition don't seep in. So the two things that we have to be careful of, of as people of God, tradition and idolatry. Tradition and idolatry. Yeah, I know we're not bowing down to statues. But anything that's more important in your life than God is, that thing has become your idol. 
that thing has become your idol. Remember I told you some years ago, God told me this. Now this is heavy now. You've heard me say this before, but I can't get over it because he said it to me. Clear as day. He said, my people have made my church more important than me. I never forgot that. Now think about this. The Bible says the church is the body of Christ and all that. And the Lord said to me, my people have made my church more important than me. I said, Lord, that's heavy. I wasn't pastoring at that time. When I said that, everybody stopped doing what they were doing. Because I knew I I heard from God. And that's what God has said to me. Why am I saying that to you? I'm saying that to you to say, we can make anything our idol. My church, my church, my church, my church, my church. I got to be in church. And it becomes the church and not Jesus. It can become all about the church for you and not about Jesus. Now, don't get it twisted. You can't have Jesus and not be a church. But you can have church and not have Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can make it all about the church and not about Jesus. But if there's no way to make it all about Jesus and it ain't about the church as well. We got to be careful what can become an idol to us. And so we have to guard against idols and we have to guard against tradition. With all that was going on, Jesus needed an escape. He was weary in his body and his emotion and had been stretched to the limits. He longed to separate himself to spend time in prayer. After what he had been through, prayer was definitely in order. As we read through Luke chapter 6, we find that his reason for prayer was much greater than personal refreshing. Do we need to pray for personal refreshing? Yes. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit is like it regenerates us. It refreshes us. So when we pray and we pray in the Spirit, we become regenerated, refreshed. So we need to do that when we are weary. But that's not the only time we need to pray. The key event that followed the all-night prayer meeting gives us an insight as to what was motivating Jesus to pray. It said the next morning, Jesus gathered all his disciples from among them. He chose 12 to be apostles. So Jesus knew during his all-night prayer, during his time of going in all-night prayer, he knew I'm going to have to choose out of all these disciples, 12 to become apostles. That's a major decision. That's a major decision. This was not a decision to be taken lightly. Indeed, the future of the church would depend greatly upon the leadership Jesus was praying over. It was one of the most critical decisions he faced while on earth. And it was one that demanded or demanded a season or a time set aside for prayer. So take note, the first thing you want to take note of. Jesus went into prayer because he had a major, a major decision to make 
And he didn't just pray an hour. He didn't just pray two hours. He didn't just pray ten minutes. He didn't just pray for a little bit of time. He prayed all night long. He had a major decision. He prayed all night long. Truthfully, I believe pastors should not get into helping and get involved in things people are dealing with until those people have prayed all night long. How can you say that, preacher? Some things you need to put the work in to get the results. And when you can just go and go get it, it's not the same. And that's what keeps you coming back to the same person over and over. Can you tell me, well, what about, when are they going to cultivate all night long? If every time something goes wrong and there's a major decision that needs to be made and all they do is, hey, pastor, what do you think about this? Hey, pastor, what do you think about that? Guess what? That's not helping them to go and pray and seek God. And truth be told, I don't know about all pastors, but I'm not pastoring to prove to anybody I know or I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'm just doing what God tells me to do. That might not make me the smartest guy in the room. I'm just doing what God tells me to do. And so I'm not into knowing everything. I'm not into that. So I'm not going to always have your answer. And there's going to be times people are going to come to me. I'm going to say, I don't know. You probably need to go pray. But I prayed. Yeah, how long? Eh, I've been praying for a few days now. Yeah, but how many times per day? Ten minutes per day? Fifteen minutes per day? Or did you do with one of Jesus' numbers all night long? We've had all had moments in our lives. Everything is going fine when suddenly one phone call tosses before us one of the greatest challenges we've ever had. We become physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. Our initial feeling may be fear of, or panic. Our minds begin to run rampant with worst-case scenarios. We must determine how to handle the situations we are facing. Knowing we must make a decision quickly can many times leave us confused as to exactly what the right decision is. Now listen to this. We get faced with these decisions. However the news came to us, however the situation appeared, we now have a situation. One of our first inclination might be to reach out to a friend or a family member and get advice. Can I tell you this? We've done more damage to each other, going to each other, to share things because we want someone to identify with us. We have done more damage than we will ever know because something came up in our life and instead of making our approach to the Lord be the first thing, the first thing we do is go and talk to somebody, one of our friends. And if we have five friends, we're going to the friend that we think can identify with us. And so that's what we do. We go to that person. And we want that person to, to, to give us some advice, to, to talk us through and all of that stuff. 
But yet and still we believe Jesus is all powerful. Yet, yet and still we believe he's all present. He's all knowing. But we went to our girlfriend or we went to our brother to say, hey, this is what's going on. Others may go to social media to tell the world what happened. They might do it in codes, but they still telling the world what happened so they can gain support there as well. How can we say we're Christians? And we believe that Jesus Christ is the almighty God. And we believe he's all-knowing and all-powerful. And the first place we go when we're faced with challenges and faced with major decisions, the first thing we do is go call up a friend or post on social media. How, we, how can we explain that? But we are far better serving by following the example of Jesus, what he gave when he separated himself from everyone and went to pray for all night. Yes. I have some questions that I go along tonight. If you want to write them down, maybe we can discuss at some point. But why do you think? A desire to seek God in prayer may require us to separate ourselves from most people. Why do you think a desire to seek God in prayer may require us to separate ourselves from some people so we can pray? Why do you think? Hold on to that. Put that under the hat. Merriam-Webster defines prayer as a petition to God in word or thoughts. The word of God speaks of prayer from Genesis to Revelation. Abraham communed with God through prayer. In the book of Revelation, John the Revelator petitioned God for understanding of what he was seeing. In between are countless prayers of men and women who prayed the best thing they could do when facing challenging circumstances and they prayed so we read through from genesis all the way to revelation and through and through the bible that men and women that were facing difficult situations important choices they prayed prayer is one of the means whereby we communicate with god and he communicates with us. I mean, probably need to say, say the second part again. And he communicates with us. And he communicates with us. It is not intended, prayer that is, to be a one-way conversation. It is an interaction between God and humans whereby God can lead and guide us by his spirit or his word. Prayer is an interaction with God. It really is. Prayer is an interaction with God. And it could be by thought, it could be by speaking words, but we're interacting with God. If it's all on you, then maybe it's not prayer because just saying words to God or saying what you think or commanding or demanding God to do something, that 
may not be prayer, but that might be our tradition. Our tradition might be I I say some things to God. I tell God what I think. I tell God what I want. And then I just leave. Can you imagine? God, send down the rain. God, deliver them from evil. God, make a way for us out of no way. God, we need provision. And then we get done and we just said, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And then we walk away. We call faith. Well, I'm expecting God to do it. You walked in, tell God what to do, and walked right out. My goodness. Can you picture that? Picture that kind of behavior. Just walking in. God, this is what I need for you to do. All right. Thank you. And really, we've done that a lot. And we don't realize it. Because our tradition kind of says we are apostolics, and that's how you pray, fervent prayer. Uh huh. It does little good to go to God in prayer only to talk nonstop for 30 minutes to an hour and simply walk away without letting God speak back. Mm hmm. We can't have relationship with anyone if it's always going to be about us. So let's not even get to God yet. Try having a relationship with anyone. And you do all the talking, and it's what you think and what they should do, and you don't want to hear nothing from them. Think about what kind of relationship you would be engaged in. And sometimes we have to examine our life and say, how am I with people? Am I just always demanding that this is what I need to see done, and, and they don't have a voice really, and I'm not trying to hear what they have to say because I know more than them, and they should just listen to me? And so we just say our peace and walk away. And so because that's how we carry on most of the times, unfortunately, we go to God and we do him the same way. Just something to think about. Because us as Christians can allow tradition to get in the way. Many times prayer can become a vain attempt to reach God if we're not listening at least as much as we were praying. This is the one that cuts me. So if I pray for an hour, what I'll probably do is pray an hour and listen for 10 minutes. Maybe 15 minutes. That's not good. In my opinion, I don't know if I have Bible for this, but in my opinion, I think what we probably need to do is if we set aside an hour to pray, we pray 20 minutes and listen for God in 40 minutes. Now that listening out might just be read the word. So it might just be reading the word. But but if you set aside an hour every day to pray, then maybe we need to pray for 20 minutes, meditate for another 30 or whatever, or 15 or 20, and then read the word for the rest of it. But give God more time to talk to you than you spoke to him. How much do you know? I'm talking to myself, I guess, on that one. Help me, Lord. Help me. So if you're praying 15 minutes for the day, you probably need to pray about 
seven minutes. I'm just trying to. The concept is we have to give him more time to talk to us than we talk to him. We don't have more to say to him than he has to say to us. We don't have anything more important to say to him than he has to say to us. So why not give him most of the opportunity to talk? Tradition says that's not what we do, though. But we probably need to take a hard look at that. And as I said before to you this evening, right when I got started, I'm going to take a hard look at that, and I'm ready to put that in practice. That once I decide how much time I, need, I can set aside to pray, and even that's something that's, uh, but just because of scheduling and work and all that stuff, I, I, I'll say it that way. But, but really, when you really get into prayer with God, you wake up early and you pray, and you pray and you pray until you feel like you can stop praying. That's really how it's supposed to be, but I'm not going to go down that road with you tonight. But if you set aside an hour, if you set aside a half hour, give the majority of the time to the Lord to speak. And during that time you give them to speak, you can meditate, you can listen to Christian music, you can read the word. But give him more time to talk to you than you spoke to him. And I think we'll hear from God a lot more. I think we'll get some answers, a whole lot more answers than we've been getting from God if we start practicing that kind of way. We want him to know how we're feeling emotionally and spiritually. If there is confusion, we do our best to explain why we're confused. It is even cathartic to simply talk it out with God. So sometimes talk it out with him, but don't just... Throw your problems on them and then walk away. God, I'm hurt. I'm frustrated. How did they do this to me, God? And you go through all that. I just can't believe it. And once you get it all off your chest, you get up and you you start moving. And God is standing there like, so you just want to dump on me and that's it. All right. If we're not careful to listen to God's response, we may leave our prayer closet with the same challenges with which we entered. So a lot of times we have unanswered prayers and we tend to feel like, why isn't God talking to me? We tend to feel like God not doing what he's supposed to do because our prayers are not being answered. There's a lot of reasons for that. But let's just start with the one we're talking about tonight. And that is, did you give him a chance to answer it? Did you limit him on how much time? God, you know, it's a weekday. You know, I go to work. It's getting close to 7 o'clock. I got to get going. How would you describe prayer in your own words? How would you describe prayer? Why do you think people do not pray as often as they should? Just questions. Now, I want to mention this. When we come together to worship, corporate prayer, just like we did this evening, is a part of the experience. Corporate prayer and personal private prayer are both needed. However, corporate prayer may not necessarily, necessarily require a private individual response from the Lord. 
it is usually require or it usually requires demonstration from God as it pertains to his will. So usually when we're praying corporate prayer together, when we're praying together, we're praying for God's will to be done. And what that usually comes down to is just God manifesting his purpose and his will. So corporate prayer is usually different from your private prayer because your private prayer is focused on God working in your life. Corporate prayer is focused on God doing something among us or God doing something for someone that we're praying for, but we're praying that together, which usually requires the demonstration of God's power, not for you to hear from God. So when we stand here tonight and we say, God, raise this church up to do great things, and we say, God, allow us as a people that when we come in here, we can experience an encounter with you, and we're praying that. We're praying for that demonstration to take place with us and God. That doesn't require us hearing from God to say, okay, that's what I'll do. We need to remember that no one else can take our place in prayer. So, yes, we do corporate prayer, but we got to focus and realize that we have to put in a lot of uh, personal prayer because no one can take your place in prayer. It is encouraging and uplifting to hear people pray around us and even to us, or I'm sorry, even for us. But there are some things God can only accomplish in our lives when we pray, when you pray. Here's an easy one to know. When you say, God, not my will, but your will be done in my life, then only you can make that happen. Nobody else. So maybe God is ready to work through you, do something in you, and he's just waiting to do it, but you're not giving him the opportunity. You're not allowing him to do it. And so the only way it will ever happen is when you finally pray and say, God, I don't know what you want to do in my life. I'm not sure what what you're trying to do. I don't understand all of it. But what I will do is totally submit to you. What I will do is totally surrender to you. And so tonight, God, I say not my My will, but thine will be done. Whatsoever you need me to do, I humble myself and I say, do it, Lord. I make myself available and I say, have your way in me. And that require for you now to surrender your life, to submit your life, and God will begin to speak to you and guide you and direct you so he can do what he wants to do. So there's some things... Only you can pray for. There must be those times that we remove ourselves from everyone else and pray to God alone. Yes, we have to do that. We can't live a life and just pray corporate prayer. When we come to church, that's the only time we pray. When we get together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the only time we pray. No, we have to get, get, get by ourselves. We must distance ourselves from all other voices noises, and any other distractions that can hinder us from hearing from God. Um, Young people, I know you don't understand this, but sometimes you have to take that phone and turn it off and put it in a place where you can't see it as you begin to seek the Lord. Because, believe me, Satan don't want you to pray. And and you can have it upstairs, but if you have it ringing, if you still have it on ringer, and you're downstairs praying, you hear it ringing. 
And now the devil have you thinking, I wonder if that's important. I wonder who's that. And you can't get your prayer done. So now you lost your, your whole focus. It's gone. So what you got to do sometimes is turn it off. Gone. So it can't make any sound. And then you go pray. You can't be distracted when you're praying. You want to be focused. Put your mind on Jesus. So you're not distracted. I learned some years ago, I ended up praying for someone, and, and the Lord put this on my heart as, as I was praying for them. And then I started praying it for myself. I said, Lord, silence every voice in that person's life that's contrary to the voice of God. Silence the voices. Because that person was hearing too many voices, and it made that person be a double-minded person. It made that person be tossed like a wave back and forth. They could never be stable because one minute they said, all right, I'm going to do this. All of a sudden, here comes another voice. And so they were never able to be steady and go forth because there were too many voices. So God had put on my heart as I prayed for the person. I said, God, will you silence those voices that are contrary to your will and your purpose for that person's life and only allow your voice, only allow the voice of God to be heard in his life so he can get on track, Lord. I started praying that for myself. I said, man, that's real good, Lord. Pray that for myself. I don't want to hear any voices that's going to contrary, going to be contrary to the voice of God. And so we have to make sure we stay away from the noises and get away from distractions. You know, this is why, you know, here's something, young people, that, that's old school. That's still not old school. That needs to be done. This is why they had prayer closets. We might say prayer closet. That's old. Well, Guess what happened when you go in the closet? There's no distractions. That's not old. That's not outdated. Until Jesus come back, prayer closet is still good. Prayer closet still is great for someone that's praying a private, personal prayer to God. You get someplace, lock yourself in, where you, even if it's dark. Can't see nothing. That's great because you will not have your focus going any place but just on Jesus. And you pray. And you pray. And you just stay focused calling on the name of the Lord. A major decision must not be treated just like any kind of thing. Like any kind of way you think. You can't, you know, most of us, here's the truth, most of us pray Ten minutes, and we're going to spend 12 hours in a day just moving around. I mean, longer than that, but you know what I mean. Twelve hours of productive time. And so we prayed ten minutes to, to, to help us get through a 12, 14, whatever, hour day. Something to think about. And that ten-minute prayer, we just talked for ten minutes, never gave him a chance to say anything. We just prayed that prayer in the house, got in the car. Sayonara. He never had a never had a chance to get a word in edgewise. Jesus was left just standing there like. And so we can't treat major decisions like we do every day. Now already we wrong for how we do it every day. So I'm not excusing that. We wrong for how we pray every day. That ten minute prayer and be on the run. But we can't handle major decisions like that. We can't pray, Lord, ah, God, I know 
I'm not sure, but I sense that you're calling me to go to Africa to do missionary work. God, if it's you, show me a sign in Jesus' name. Show me a sign, God. Five minutes. Show me a sign, God, so I know it's you. Then we start looking for signs. Is that the sign, Lord? Is that the sign? You're making a big decision to go to Africa and be a missionary, and you only prayed 10 minutes? We have to start paying attention more about big decisions. Moving, school, job, who to marry, how to handle our money. We have to start praying really hard and putting the time in about those decisions. Should I leave the church I'm in? You got to pray those prayers. You can't put 10 minutes in and say, yeah, this ain't for me. God is moving me. How much time you put into that? Five minutes? Ten minutes? Huh. We got to put the time in. Jesus prayed all night to select leaders. All night to select leaders. And we're thinking about what church to go to. We're thinking about where to move to. We're thinking about what we do with our money. We're thinking about how we raise our children. We're thinking about school we go to. All of these things, major. And we put 10 minutes every day into it and get mad when we don't hear back from the Lord. How dare him not respond to my prayer? We must realize that others cannot pray about our situation like we can pray about our situation. I don't know if this is not right. But I don't go around telling people to pray for me. That's not arrogance, not cockiness, is none of that. It's what I just said to you. I've always felt that I'm going to pray my best for me. Just always felt that way. Remember I told you when I first went to church? I didn't know nothing about apostolic. And I remember people would come up every once in a while. Pastor, we going on vacation. Can you pray for us? And they come up to the front, pastor, lay hands on them and pray. God, keep them, watch over them as they go on vacation, blah, 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 blah. Cool. And people would come up sick in their body. Pastor, I'm sick in my body. Can you pray for me? Pastor, anoint them with the oil, pray for them. Sometimes they get healed, other times they wouldn't get healed. But I sat in the church and watched that as a new guy. No apostolic in me. Just sat around. I said, oh, okay. And so I was smart enough to figure out pastor wasn't the one healing the people. I was smart enough to figure out pastor wasn't the one that was watching over those people and protecting them when they were traveling. So I started doing this in the name of Jesus. Lord, loose this headache from me. And I did it one day and the headache was gone. You was in trouble. Oh, God, they was in trouble. When I laid my hands on my head that first time and command the headache to leave me and the headache left me. Oh, man, I was out of control. I was praying for myself, but people watch me pray for myself and watch how excited I got about when I prayed for myself, what happened? And they started to ask me to pray. That's how I started praying for people because I was focused on praying for me. And because it worked, I'm like talking about it. People started knocking on my office door at work, corporate America, knocking on my door. 
Now come on in, close the door, put my knee on the door. In the name of Jesus, Lord, from the crown of her head to the sole of her feet, will you heal her? Loose her, Lord. My knee on the door. Nobody can come in. In Jesus' name, open up back the door. All right, sis, see you later. I was out of control. And then, you know it's working. When, remember one time I went to a, a conference, and my wife was all in pain. She was just all messed up. Couldn't even sit up straight. Couldn't even walk straight. I said, come here. In the name of Jesus. Man, she straightened up and started worshiping God. I said, now I know I'm, I got the real goods. When you pray for your spouse and they get healed, oh, you've got the goods. <laughs> so, I've always known that it, it's not us that does it. It's the Lord that does it. And so when you think about prayer, I'm not telling you, please don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you, don't ask people to pray. Because, you know, we can all touch and agree and believe in that God's going to do something for you. So we can, we can always pray. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, don't you uh, discount who you are in praying for yourself. And your prayer will be more powerful for you than anybody else. Don't discount that. Don't you think, and I don't care, because sometimes, you know, we lack confidence in saying praying for ourselves because we feel like I might not be on the right track. I kind of messed up lately. Listen, just repent and pray for yourself because nobody's going to pray like you will pray for yourself. Believe me when I tell you. It will take you in a different dimension when you start praying, start thinking about it, and like, man, God, I need you. And you begin to pray on a different level. Pray for yourself. Don't you worry about a thing. You can pray for yourself and it will work. You don't need a whole bunch of people to pray for you. Yes, you can ask, but trust that your prayer will be answered as well. Yes. How much time should we spend daily in prayer? That's a question. Do you feel you spend enough time in prayer when facing major decisions? The word of God will become hollow and hard to understand without consistent and fervent prayer. What we say, the word of God is the seed? Uh-huh. And this body is made out of what? Dirt, clay, whatever you want to call it. And the word of God is what? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. When you pray, you make this clay, this dirt, receptive to the seed. Uh-huh. So what happens a lot of times is we don't pray, so this clay gets caked up. It's hard. And so the seed just bounced and bounced off because it couldn't penetrate because the clay, the dirt was hardened because it wasn't consistent prayer going on. And sometimes we're having trouble understanding the word of God. Why? Because we are not praying privately, consistently. The psalmist Declared in Psalms 119.105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This means God's word can direct our lives if we receive it. God's word can direct us if we receive it. But how do we receive it? A lot of times, 
we only receive God's word when it goes with our ideology. Again, remember, tradition gets in the way and hurt us Christian people. So we have our understanding of how God is supposed to work and what he's supposed to do. And, and, and so we have this expectation that this is the way he will work. And then when he doesn't, we're challenged. Trying to read the word without an underpinning of prayer will leave us with less than the word intended for us to receive. Misinterpreting what the word is saying. There's also danger of making scripture mean what we want it to mean instead of what it actually means. Because we didn't spend time in prayer. Prayer helps us focus on what really matters. Prayer helps us focus on what really matters. You ever ask yourself when you leave here tonight, what really matters when you leave here tonight? What matters tomorrow when you go about your day? What really matters? Learning to make prayer a priority will allow the rest of our priorities to fall in line with what God desires. Without praying, we run the risk of allowing our flesh to override the Spirit of God when it comes to major decisions. When we don't pray, our desires will control our decisions. The other day, someone came and offered me, I guess it was supposed to be a good deal, on a, on a house. And the person was trying to put it in my lap. This would be a good house, you know, blah, 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 great opportunity. And they're going on and on and on. And the very first thing that comes to my mind is, Lord, you know how I feel. I don't want nothing holding me down. I don't want nothing getting in my way. I don't want to get in no bad deal that's going to just get on my nerves and get in my way. I said, so guess what? I'm not doing anything unless you do something. And so what I did, just to get it up off me, I called a real estate agent that I know, and I said, Kamisha, here's some information. You get back to me and let me know um, what the, um, the comps say, blah, 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 what you think would be a good offer, blah, 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 blah. I haven't heard back from Kamisha yet. Guess what? I ain't calling Kamisha either. not because i'm leaving everything in the hands of god i can't i I can't take any chances it's too late in the game it's too late in the game to worry about anything it's only if it's the will of god that i want to do it i can't i can't there's there's things that come to mind that i said i can do and i said no that's going to distract me that's going to take too much of my time no no no. Prayer is a necessity when making big choices. The Bible is full of examples of people who prayed before making major decisions. I'm bringing it down. When Moses made his second journey up Mount Sinai, prayer was foremost on his mind. He knew he must hear from God before approaching the people again. This was a pivotal moment in the history of Israel. The sin of building that golden calf had been committed and judged by God. Moses, upon realizing the anger of God could cause him to destroy Israel, went back to the mountain to intercede for Israel. During his prayer, he spoke these words. Listen to what Moses said. 
if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up here. If your presence don't go with us, don't bring us up here. It's challenging to pray for our church building. Lord knows I want this. Lord knows I think this is just perfect for us. But I don't know if it is. So hard. And all you can do is trust the Lord. I don't know what kind of financial expense this could become. They can turn it over to us and we can say, whoa, we have this stuff. But what about if it's a lot that's wrong that we're going to have to put finance into it to get it right? I don't know. So as much as you go to God with fervency and praying about stuff, you still got to walk away and says, whatever you want, God. <laughs> still have to walk away and says, whatever you want, Lord, because I don't want to make a wrong move. And I don't want to do what I want. I want whatever you want. That's what I want. I told the Lord a long time ago, you have the right to override me when I'm doing dumb stuff. So. This is me playing psychology with the Lord. I don't know if this works, but I, I said this to the Lord. I said, Lord, you don't go against our will, but I'm telling you right now, you can go against mine. <laughs> oh, God, me and God. have some conversations, man. I'm telling you. I said, I know you don't go against anybody's will, but if I'm doing something stupid that can destroy me, then go against my will. It's one of those things that here's the heavy prayer to prayer. God, if I'm going to backslide and die in my sins, kill me while I'm saved before that happens. Are you afraid to pray that prayer? Are you afraid to pray that prayer? Before I backslide and die in my sins, kill me while I'm saved, Lord. I know that's tough for some people to think about. But I don't, I'm not stuttering praying that prayer. I'm not stuttering praying that prayer. I'd rather die before my time to be sure I'm going to heaven than to get all messed up and backslide after all these years in church and lose out on eternity. Oh, no. Oh, no. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up here. God had declared that he would bring his people up to Canaan. Moses realized the enormity of the decision and refused to go one step further without getting an answer in prayer. He would not simply give in to what his flesh wanted to see happen without engaging in prayer. Very important. Joshua had the same situation. Remember the Joshua situation during battle? One of the army of Israel absolutely had to win. Joshua prayed that prayer that the sun didn't go down when the sun was going down if the sun would have went down israel probably would have lost the battle because the the adversary would have probably snuck in and got behind them and destroyed them and joshua prayed sun stay still and the sun stayed still they kept fighting and they won the battle uh-huh 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 David had a situation like that where he says, I'm going to the Lord and I want to hear from God. And in Second Samuel 5, uh, David, David going up to prayer after the Philistines challenge him in, in the valley, 
he had recently been anointed king and the Philistines were seeking an opportunity to kill him. As you can imagine, this would likely bring an amount of fear into the heart of David. It was the type of fear that could drive a man into hiding until the danger had passed. It seemed the future, it seemed the future God had promised David was about to be taken away before it had begun. Instead of hiding in fear, David inquired of the Lord. When we pray, we must do so with an open heart and an open spirit so we do not miss the plan of God in our lives. Here is what this is saying. You pray sometimes with your heart closed. You, you pray sometimes with your spirit closed. Here's when we do it. Huh. We pray with our heart closed and with our spirit closed at times. Because we don't want the answer, but we're doing what we know we're supposed to do. What do you think God does? When you're, you think God is not all-knowing? When you're praying, but you don't want the answer, but you know I'm going to pray. Why? Because i got to say that I prayed. So you pray to say that you prayed, but when you prayed, your heart was closed, your mind was closed, your spirit was closed up. Because you was afraid to hear the truth. Trust the Lord, somebody. Even with the answer you don't like, it's what's best for you. He wants what's best for you. And so the answer you don't like, it's still the right answer. The answer that makes you uncomfortable, it's still the right answer. The answer that just makes you despondent to say, God, why? It's still the best answer. We got to trust the Lord that kind of way. Often we want God to immediately resolve our problems and make them go away. We, we, we want microwave answers that remove the challenges we face. Sometimes God is going to let you have to go through some challenges. What kind of scripture you have for that preacher? The three Hebrew boys. God could have stand at the door of that fiery furnace and says, I'm going to lock this fiery furnace door so tight, seal it, and I'm going to make the top of it be sealed that they can't throw you in. And they wouldn't have to go in the fire. But God made them go in the fire. And he went in the fire with them. So some things, there's a lesson that God has in it that he's trying to teach you. And so he will not allow you to avoid what's going on. He won't take you around the problem. He's going to take you through the problem. And we have to understand that God is just that good and know what's best for us, that he's taking us through the problem. He's not taking us around the problem. We got to understand that there are challenging situations that we're going to face and we have to pray and not just our five minute, our 10 minute prayer. Of all the scriptural examples of praying in the face of challenges, none are more impact, impacting than the prayers of Jesus at such a time. In the scripture focus for this lesson, we find Jesus spending the night in prayer before selecting the 12 apostles. This would be one of the greatest and most impacting decisions he would make. He knew the efforts. He knew the effects 
uh, of this decision and would be felt long after he had left the earth. It was a decision that included many factors. So the, the decision included many factors. Here's some of the factors. How to choose 12 from among so many. Which were the most qualified? You don't know people's heart. Only God knows people's heart. Which had the spiritual disciplines that being an, an apostle would require? Which had the grit and boldness to endure opposition and even persecution? Who had the right heart and right spirit to be chosen? He spent all night in prayer so he would know the right ones. Jesus did not really go, really go down a checklist to qualify the men. He did not choose those who would be his own personal preference. Neither did he just randomly pick the ones who looked the most qualified. He did none of these things. What he did was spend a night in prayer, submitting his flesh to the power of God in order to make the right decision. If Jesus, who is God, manifest in flesh, knew he had to pray when facing challenges, how much more do we need to pray at such times? After Jesus rose from the grave and appeared unto others, he then appeared among his apostles. At that moment, Jesus saw the result of his decision he had made after that night of prayer. He looked from face to face, staring pointedly at each one who had been selected. There was no doubt in his mind he had chosen the right men. He had chosen the right men. A night spent in prayer had given the right direction. Jesus then gave them the instructions only given to men who were up to the task. Watch this. The power of prayer was paying off. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. Or should I say, and pray until the promise comes. They were going to turn the world upside down with the gospel but first, they had to pray. Here is what is saying. Jesus prayed and selected the 12 apostles. Got them. When he selected them, what he did with them was send them. Because that's what happened. Apostles are sent. So he sent them. Now, when he sent them, they didn't just go. They had to pray as well. So the day of Pentecost in the upper room, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed to the promise came. And it wasn't until they prayed that they were now sent to go do the will of God. And so today, every major decision from this moment on, you have to make, you need to pray. Let's stand. We can't pray 10 minutes. We can't pray 5 minutes. We can't pray 
just 15 minutes when we have major decision to make. We got to spend a night or two or three of prayer seeking God for answer, for direction, for understanding. So let's pray as we go from Bible study tonight and thank God for what he has done. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, all that have been spoken into our hearing tonight, let none of us, oh God, do otherwise than what we've heard here tonight. Let none of us be exempt from you, Lord God, working in our lives. Lord Jesus, help us to be like you in this particular area, Lord God. Lord, we're striving to wholly be as you. But God, in this particular area tonight that we have discussed, help us to be like you, to not take any major decisions for granted. But God, that we will look to the heavens and that we will seek your face and that we will call on your name and say, God, direct us. God, help us to know what we ought to do. God, help us to select the right leaders. God, help us to walk in the right path. God, help us us to go in the place where you want us to go. God, lead us to that hungry soul. God, lead us to that building that you have prepared for us. Will you reveal it to us? God, wherever you have prepared for us, we accept it graciously, gladly. We receive it cheerfully because we know whatsoever you give to us, it is the best thing for us. And so tonight, Lord, we pray and ask that you will help us to know and to practice what we've heard tonight as to how we will make decisions, all the choices and all the decisions that are major in our life, in our church. Help us, Lord, to not do anything without seeking you, calling on your name, and then waiting upon you. Oh, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I pray that somebody tonight will not be weary as they wait upon the Lord. That somebody tonight will trust the Lord and obey the Lord and be steadfast and be unmovable and be unshakable until they hear what thus saith the Lord, until they hear from heaven, until the Lord begins to guide them, until the Lord gives them direction. I pray tonight, Lord, that the hand of God, the strong hand of God will hold us into place, will hold us into position uh, that we will not make a major move uh, without you, uh, without your approval, uh, without your direction. Uh, oh God, I pray uh, for every person in this room uh, that whatsoever the adversary will try to do, uh, oh God, to make them weary, to make them afraid, uh, to make them, oh God, uh, be weary and make bad decisions, uh, to allow them to make a decision in their flesh. Uh, oh God, I pray uh, to Tonight that you will intervene and push back the forces of evil and push back the forces of darkness and destroy the work of the adversary that the people of God in this church, Lord God, will not make poor decisions, bad decisions, because the adversary.
glory trap them uh, and entice them uh, and trick them. Uh, I pray tonight in the name of Jesus uh, by the power of God uh, that our life will never be the same uh, and that the power of God uh, will reign supremely. Allow us, Lord God, uh, to get to a place uh, where there will be intimacy uh, and that there will be dialogue. uh, And Lord God, uh, we will have an encounter with you uh, and that God, our prayer, will be an interaction uh, and it will not be a monologue. Help us tonight, Lord God. Touch us tonight, Lord God. And let your will be done, Almighty God. I pray faith will begin to rise in the heart and the mind of your people. I pray faith will begin to rise. And Lord, that we will never be the same again. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you. Oh God, have your way as we go to our respective place of dwelling. Let the power of God be with us as we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. All these things we pray in Jesus' matchless name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a hand clap of praise.